Our scripture reading will come from Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through, through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his namesake we received grace and the apostleship to be called to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also were among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God whom I serve with my whole heart is preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will the way may be made may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jews and then the Gentiles. For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, from first to last, just as it is written, the, just, the righteous will live by faith. Amen. <clears throat> Dear God, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your grace and mercy to us throughout this week, Lord. You've been so good to us. You've allowed for us to be here in your house today. And we praise you and we thank you, Lord, for your gentle love to us, your encouragement to us, your rebuke to us. Lord, your protection to us. We just thank you. We thank you that you are a Jehovah Jireh. You have provided for us. And we give you praise and honor for that, Lord. Help us, Lord God, not to be murmurs and complainers, but to be grateful and thankful for all that you've done for us. We might not have everything that we think we want, but we have what we need. And we thank you that you are the God who have provided for us. And we praise you for this time now that we can come and sit, hear your word, and apply it to our lives, Lord. Help us to take what we hear today and use it for your glory. May we have ears to hear what the Spirit will say to us. Father, and I just pray that by your Holy Spirit we will be led out to witness to people and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. You've given us so much, Lord, and it says what much is given, much is required. So, Father, we just pray that we will take what we hear and use it to your glory, and that we won't just hear another word and sit on it and not do anything with it, but that we'll be active in what we in our faith, Lord. Mm -hmm. So we just thank you for the word that we're going to hear now. I pray for Darnell as he comes, that you'll anoint him and give him the words to say, Lord, and the, the clear understanding of your word that it will be ministered to us. 
So we just pray, Lord, that it will be an anointed time, that we will hear what you have to say. We rebuke Satan as he tries to come to rock us to sleep, make us think about other things, having us think about last week or what's to come or all the other distractions that can come, Lord. So just help our minds to stay focused as mm -hmm. we can have attention deficit and just seem to wander off in so many different directions. Father, I just pray that you will keep our hearts and minds stayed on this word today, that it will minister to us and that we'll take it and use it to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good morning. It's good to be with you once again today. Good to be in God's house. And our text, as Karen has just read, is from Romans chapter 1 and verses 1 through 17. And we pray that it will be a blessing to you today. As I was preparing this, I was reminded of a documentary that I saw several years ago now. Maybe some of you saw it as well on the BBC entitled Mass Exodus. And this documentary dealt with the problem of uh, people leaving church. And it quoted a statistic that was quite shocking. And that is that in the UK, less than one out of ten people attend church regularly. So for all of you who are here who go to church regularly, you are a very rare group. Less than one out of ten. And in America, it's not much better. It's just slightly more than two out of ten people go to church regularly. And this documentary was dealing with uh, the subject of why is it that so few people go to church? Why are churches struggling so much? I've been here nearly 10 years and I've had a chance to go to many people's homes and speak with them. Uh, often after church we're invited over to someone's house for a bite to eat or people invite us out at other times. And I've talked to many Christians all throughout the UK. And those who have been in the church a long time, those who are a lot older, tell me of the days when churches were full. Anybody remember that? You know, when churches were full and uh, the community, you knew it was Sunday because the shops were closed and everybody was going along to church. It was it was really a different time. I remember one time being invited to speak at a large church in Glasgow and the building was beautiful and it was huge. And I was there for a special service and I was quite impressed because it was about 300 people in the room, which is a, a large audience for you know, Scotland. Uh, but after the services, I was um, complimenting the organizers saying, wow, this is a great event and it's really a nice attendance. He said, you know, about 30 years ago, we would get about 1500 people to this service. And then I thought, wow, that really puts it in perspective. So why is it that so few people go to church? Well, one of the things is that most people today don't understand what church is all about. They think it's completely irrelevant to their life, that it has nothing to do with them. Uh, and I think that's a real shame because actually church is very important. And what the church has to offer is something that could be of huge benefit to everybody in our communities. But part of the problem is that we have a messaging problem. Part of the reason people don't really understand what church is about is because of us. I think we have to take some of the blame for that. And we have a messaging problem. Now, when I say a messaging problem, I don't mean that there's something wrong with our message. It's just that we're not getting that message across in the way that we should. If people really understood what it is that we're all about, what our message is, then I think they would see church in a very different way. I'm sure you've seen these things on television. It's kind of man in the street where somebody goes on the high street in the town with a microphone and a camera and they'll just stop people and they'll ask a question. And I've seen some of these where they've stopped and asked people the question, when you hear Christian, 
or church, what comes to mind? And people have all kinds of things to say. But one of the things I think we can improve on is making sure that we clarify our message, that we get back to basics about what it is we really believe so that as people think about church, they have a very positive idea of what church is all about. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, uh, which is why I've entitled this Back to Basics, Back to Understanding Our Core Message and Reemphasizing Our our Message to People in Our Community. Our text that we're looking at here today is found, obviously, in the book of Romans. And it is written by the Apostle Paul to believers at Rome. In verse 8, he tells us that this was a church he had never visited. But he had heard of their incredible faith in Jesus Christ. What a, what a testimony that this church, well not just one church, but the believers in Rome had such a strong faith that their reputation had preceded them. And although Paul had never met them or visited them, he had heard of them. And then in verse 10, Paul says how he often prayed for them and prayed for an opportunity to visit them. So although he hadn't been there, he was desperate, eager to go and visit them. In verse 12, Paul says how he greatly desired to go to Rome and have fellowship with them so that they might mutually benefit from each other's faith. He knew that God had given him certain gifts and he could share those gifts and strengthen and encourage them. But he also wanted to be encouraged by them as well and their faith. And then in verse 13, he mentions how that he had planned to go many times but have been prevented from doing so. And I can relate to that because there are places that I like to go and churches I like to visit. And sometimes I've had plans to go and have never been able to do so yet. So this is how Paul is feeling. A church he's never been to, heard about them, desperate to go and see them. But his eagerness to go to Rome had nothing to do with wanting to visit this great city. And remember, Rome at this time was like the center of the universe. You know, everything happened there. So you could just go to Rome just for a holiday or just to see the city. But that's not why he wanted to go. Paul, in verse 1, tells us that he considered himself a servant of Jesus Christ, entrusted with an important message, and that it was his responsibility to go and share that message around the world. And that message was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul was eager to go to Rome to share this message. In verse 15, he says something that's quite interesting. Look at it again. It says, that is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. Now, when I read this, this verse kind of stopped me in my tracks for a moment and and jumped off the page at me. And the reason for that is because um, I don't do it all the time, but sometimes when I'm invited to go and preach somewhere, particularly a church I've never been to, what I'll do is I'll speak to who has organized it and I'll ask them, what the audience will consist of. Is it mainly Christians? Or will there be a number of non-Christians there? Are it more older Christians? So that way I have a sense of who I'm going to be speaking to and I can kind of tailor my message uh, accordingly. And the thought I've had at times is, if I'm going to a church that is 99% Christians, and particularly 99% older, more mature Christians, and I wouldn't go and I preach a sermon on you must be born again. Or, you know, preach about the gospel message because they've already saved. And maybe I might do something on discipleship or ministry involvement. But what I saw here really challenged that thinking because Paul is saying that he's eager to go to Rome to preach the gospel to people who are already saved. Why would he want to do that? He's writing this letter, by the way, from Corinth. And so for him to want to go all that distance to Rome 
to preach the gospel to people who already believe in Jesus Christ, I think, is really interesting. So why does he want to do that? Well, I believe it's because Paul understood that the gospel is the foundation of our faith. The gospel message is the foundation of our faith. It is the message we are commissioned to share with the world. And he wanted the Roman believers to understand this message and be equipped to share it with others also. He says here in this text, verse 6, And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So he was saying to the Roman believers that, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I've been entrusted with this message, but so have you. You also have been called to belong to Jesus Christ, and you must understand this message as well. If you notice, in the text that we read, these first 17 verses of the book, six times the word gospel is used in the passage. I think that's a clue that gospel, or the gospel, is very central to Paul's thinking and very central to what he writes about in this letter. So this is the core message. And my desire, which is why I say let's get back to basics, is to once again share the gospel message with those of you here at Moody's Burn. Believers, just like it was in the case when Paul wrote to the church at Rome. So that you would be encouraged by it, but also so that you would be equipped and prepared to share this message with others also. Because this is the foundation of our faith. This is our core message. And I'm afraid that what has happened in too many churches and too many Christian circles is that a lot of other things have obscured this message to such an extent that the world around us, the community around us, don't really know what it is we believe in. But when we understand what our message is and learn how to declare this message clearly and with power, it'll make a difference in our communities. So here's three things that Paul says about the gospel message that's important for us to remember today. Number one, it is good news. Number two, it is a powerful message. Think life transforming. And number three, it is a message from everyone. And I want to just encourage you and challenge you that as you minister here in this community, uh, as the local expression of God's church here, that you make the gospel message, getting that out, communicating it, your number one priority. And remember some things about that message. Number one, it's a message of good news. It's a powerful message. And it's a message for everyone. So let's look at this first one. The, fight, the idea that it's good news. This is a very interesting graphic in light of what uh, <laughs> you were saying this morning. It is good news for salvation. Uh, that Paul referred to the message that he had received from Jesus as the gospel is pretty significant. Because in the Greek, gospel means good news. So he was saying that the message that Jesus had given to him to go and share with the world was a message of good news. One of the wonderful things about good news is that you never get tired of hearing good news. If your phone rings or somebody sends you an email or, or, or text message or something, if it contains good news, you never think, oh, some more good news from this person. You know, we love good news. Well, the more we can communicate that what we have is a message as the Christian church is a message of good news, the greater impact we'll have on our community. John 3.16 summarizes the good news that Jesus brings. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is the good news of the gospel. 
The good news is really about three things. God's love for us. God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son into the world. The good news of the gospel is that God is not some distant deity, unconcerned with our lives, but he is a loving God. We talked about this last week. You know, he wants to be an intimate father to each and every human being, if only we'll let him. So the good news for this community here is that God loves them. I wonder, though, sometimes, is that what people are hearing from the Christian church? Or do they hear condemnation? Do they hear rebuke? Do they hear that God is angry with you and doesn't like you? Does, do, we, do they hear that God likes us because we're Christians, but he doesn't like you because you're not? You know, the real message of the gospel is that it is good news about God's love for us. There are people in this community who feel unloved. People in this community who have been let down by others. People in this community who have been disappointed by people. But the good news that we have to offer them is that the God who created them loves them desperately with a love they have never experienced from anyone else. It's good news because of God's love for us, but it's also good news because of God's gift to us. You know, lots of people say they love you, but then they don't show it. <laughs> you know, uh, I think about that sometimes when kids give, uh, you know, their mom a Mother's Day card or a birthday card. And sometimes what can happen is that kid can give their parents absolute hell all year round. Attitude, bad you know, spirits, disobedience, and then at Mother's Day, Mom, you're the wonderful mother in the world, and I love you so much. You know, that really doesn't mean much. But see, God doesn't just say, I love you, but then doesn't do anything to prove it. God demonstrates his love for us and that he gave us the best gift he could ever give us. He gave us something we didn't earn and something we didn't deserve. And on this point, I was really getting nervous because it sounded like you were preaching my sermon for me. <laughs> and I think, oh, he's going to take all the thunder out of it. But uh, he, what he was saying is true. You know, you can run a race or something, get a medal because you've earned it, you work for it. But what we experience in God's love is he gives us a gift that we didn't have to earn, work for, or deserve. That's good news. It's good news to let this community know... If you want to be in right relationship with God, if you want to go to heaven, it's not about your works. You don't have to go out and earn it. You don't have to go out and try real hard to do it. God has sent his son who died on the cross for our sins. He paid the price that we were supposed to pay. Look again at verse number 17. The good news of the gospel is that for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You know, the good news is that throughout the course of human history, mankind has always struggled to find a way to get back in right relationship with God. People have always tried to figure out what do you need to do. And there are religions today that are based on works. You know? At the very heart of Islam, you know what it is? It's the idea that you are to be, uh, to sacrifice, you know, to God. That's what it's all about. It's sacrificing and doing all these things and all these prayers and stuff to earn God's favor. You know, the Jehovah Witnesses, you've got to go out and sell a whole bunch of magazines so you can get into heaven. <laughs> you've got to earn your way. And I never quite understood that because the more people you recruit, the less are your odds of being one at 144,000. But I don't know. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But the ideal is you've got to work. You've got to do something to earn it. Isn't it good news to know that we don't have to do that? That Jesus paid it all? Is that good news? Or would you rather go out and earn your way into heaven? 
Would you rather have to, you know, follow a checklist and tick all the boxes and and do all of these things, pray 10 times a day and give so much money and all this kind of stuff? And hopefully that would be good enough. We've got to add up your bad and your good and hopefully your good will outweigh your bad and you'll get in just by the skin of your teeth. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has paid it all. God has sent his son to down the cross for our sins because he loved us so much. And then the good news is not only God's love for us, God's gift to us, but God's plan for us. God has a plan for each and every one of our lives. A plan to prosper us and not to harm us. To give us hope and a future. You don't have to go through life feeling like there's no purpose to it. And, and you know, you're born, you live, you die, and that's the end of it. But God has a plan for your life. He wants to do things in your life that you can't even believe. That's the good news for this community. If you feel like life is meaningless, if you feel like life has no purpose, you know, if you feel like life is just full of disappointments, then God loves you. He has a plan for you and he wants to bless you. He wants you to live in relationship with him. That's good news. Is that good news this morning? That's great news. One of the things that I I try to do in my own preaching, I'm not sure I'm always successful at it, but I try to, whenever I uh, arrange a sermon, I ask myself this very uh, simple question. Where's the good news in this message? And sometimes the messages can be very challenging, and they need to be. I mean, there's no way around it. There's some things in Scripture that will challenge us deeply, you know, about our sin, our attitudes, our relationship with God. You know, it's not all just, you know, pie in the sky. Some of these things are quite challenging. But even in that, I want to be keen to make sure that whatever people are hearing, it's good news. And that's what I want to encourage you as well, that as you share the message of what it means to be a Christian, as the preaching goes forth and the teaching from this place, don't forget, it's good news. Where's the good news in the message that we're proclaiming? And as I said at the beginning, it's never hard to hear good news. And the more this community understands that this place has good news for their life, the more effective you'll be in winning them to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Here's the second point. It's a powerful message. (laughs) You know, we hear all kinds of messages and some of them don't make any sense at all. Some of them don't change our lives at all. But this is a message that has power behind it. Look again at what he says in verse number 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. There's power in this message. You know, if you go into most bookstores and even online, you'll find um, tons of self-help books. Anybody here own a few of them? (laughs) You know, I looked up um, this week on the Internet some of the the best-selling self-help books that are out there now. And they have titles like How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. Or here's one, Achieve Anything in Just One Year. I mean, that just jumps off the shelf at you. You see that, you think, yeah, I want that book so I can achieve something this year. And then the magic of thinking big, you know. And all of these books have one thing in common. And that is they promise people that they will change their lives. You buy this book, achieve anything in just one year, and it'll change your life. The book, The Magic of Thinking Big, will change your life. And how many of us have been in bookstores and seen these books read the outside and the back and think, okay, I'll buy that because, ooh, I could really use this. Did it change your life? (laughs) Probably not. 
But the wonderful thing about the gospel is that it will change your life. And, and there are people, again, all around this community whose lives need to be changed. One of the reasons these books are so popular is because they do tap into something in the human psyche. There is many people in this world who desire to have their lives changed. They're not happy with the life they have. They're not happy with the way things are going and they're looking for the answers. And so these books and these titles, they just promise something to them that they hope will be true. Well, Romans 12 and 1 speaks of our need to change. In Romans 12 and 1, it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To be transformed means to be changed. That's what we need. We need to be changed by having our minds renewed. You know, I think about this desire to be um, changed Probably one of the greatest demonstrations of this desire that people have, this longing, this passion to have change in their lives made different, is in the election in America in the last few years with the election of uh, President Obama. If you really think about it, here was a young man that nobody had heard of. <laughs> well, those of us in Chicago knew him. He's from Chicago and one of our state senators. But beyond Chicago, nobody had ever heard of him. He hadn't accomplished very much in his life. And he was running against someone, Hillary Clinton, for the Democratic uh, nomination, who was a former first lady. Her husband was the president. And she was a senator longer than he was. Very famous. Nobody gave him any chance. But one of the things that Obama did that was brilliant is he um, got a message of hope and change. That's what he promised people. That his candidacy represented a chance to change America and maybe even the world, <laughs> you know, to bring hope. And that resonated with people so deeply that he was over, able to overcome all of the other obstacles. You know, Hillary Clinton's name recognition, her political organization, her money, her experience, all of that. Because people were desperate for change. Now the verdict is still out if they have been satisfied by the change he's brought or not. But it does tell us something. You want to tap into the heart and soul of this community, you want to make a difference for Jesus Christ in this community, understand people have a basic desire to have their lives changed. They won't come up on the street and just say this to you, hey, I want my life changed. But if we can offer them real hope, real change, it'll make a difference. And that's what the gospel does. And that's why the scripture says that it is the power of God unto salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if anyone is in Christ, if anyone becomes a Christian, puts their faith in Jesus Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Amen? Think about that for a moment. Those of us who have been in church a long time, we've heard this, we, we, we have it memorized, and it just kind of rolls off our tongue. But think what that's saying. The Bible is making an incredible claim. It is saying that if you put your faith in this gospel message, that it will change your life. That your old life will be over and you will begin a whole new life. That's a pretty audacious statement to make. You know, in fact, Paul realized how incredible this claim was. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What he was saying is that the claims of the gospel are so incredible, so audacious, that to many people it sounds foolish. 
The idea that if you just put your faith in a message, it can change your life. But that's exactly what it does. One of the things I love about Christianity, love about being saved, is that it does what it says on the tin. All of us are bombarded with advertisements and promises, you know, from things that we just have found doesn't really work out. You know, some of uh, some young people, uh, and there are a few of them in the room. <laughs> uh, you guys here, I'm looking at you. The advertisements, Jack and DJ tell us that you wear certain deodorant, the girls will just flock to you. <laughs> but it really doesn't work like that. <laughs> you know, or if you drive a certain car, everybody will just treat you a certain way. And all of these things, if you eat certain food, then you will be transformed into this whole new person. But these things we know, they're just adverts and they don't really work. But what Jesus says really does work. It is the power of God unto salvation. Genuine faith in Jesus Christ transforms an individual's life. It doesn't mean that everything in their life will be sorted instantly. Every problem, every situation. But what it does mean is that they will have a whole new mind, new attitude, new desires, a new outlook, a purpose in life. They'll be equipped with a power that they didn't have before to overcome temptation. They will begin to receive God's peace and joy in their life in a way they've never experienced it before. They'll have a hope they never had before. A hope that gets them through any tough situations in this life, but also a hope that when this life is over, they'll spend all of eternity with God. How many of you here can testify to the change that Jesus Christ has made in your life? Amen. For some of us, the change isn't so dramatic. Maybe we've grown up in church or got saved at a very young age. But for other people, the change is absolutely incredible. That they have gone. I knew a person who was a drunk for 30 or 40 years and the type that you would have to step over on the street living in Skid Row. And he became an evangelist traveling America, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's an incredible change. But whether it's that kind of change that everybody can see or just a change of attitude. A change of perspective, a change of outlook on life. This is what the gospel does. So you want to make a difference in this community? Do you? The key will not be in the, the how beautiful your building is. It won't be in your programs. It won't be in your structure. It won't be in, in all the other things. The power to change lives is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have to find a way to communicate that gospel message effectively and as often as possible. Amen? And then here's the third thing Paul tells us about the gospel. It is for everyone. Look again in verse number 16. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile. In other words, he was saying, because he talks about a Gentile, Gentile just a non-Jew. So it's for the Jews and for the non-Jews. In other words, it's for everybody. This is a message for everybody. And then in John 3.16, it says, Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. 2 Peter 3 and 9, Peter is talking about how Jesus had promised to come back, and he hadn't come back yet. It hadn't been a couple decades, but people were saying, hey, you know, been a couple decades. He's not back yet. Maybe this is, he's not really coming back. And Peter says, no, he's coming back, but he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
This is a message for everyone and salvation is for everyone who believes. It's God's grace that makes this, makes salvation available. It's faith that makes it, makes it accessible. So it's available to everybody, but only those who believe will ever experience it. This last point is an important one. Because we got to make sure as Christians that we don't pick and choose who we share this message with. We got to share with everybody. And sometimes what we can do is kind of size up people and think, oh, they wouldn't be interested. You know, I'm I'm never going to invite them to church because I'm sure they would never want to go to church with me. Oh, but this person might. Don't say no for somebody else. (laughs) Ask everybody. Share with everybody and let God deal with their hearts. I learned this when many years ago in another life, uh, I was a financial planner. Now, I was called a financial planner, but in real sense, I was just a salesman. I sold life insurance and mutual funds because unless somebody bought life insurance and mutual funds, I didn't make any money. But I had to learn how not to say no to other people. You know, you can kind of size up somebody and be dead wrong with them. For instance, I could go to somebody's house and when I pull up to the, the address there and look at the house, I think, ooh, not a very nice looking house. These, these people probably don't have any money. You know, and you ring the doorbell and you hear somebody inside yelling, so-and-so get the door. I'm busy. You get the door. You know, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, what kind of people are these? You know, and somebody show up at there and they look like they weren't expecting company at all. You know, but they invite you in and, you know, I give them a presentation about, you know, how they could invest in a mutual fund or buy life insurance and, uh, you know, 15, 20 minute discussion, I discovered that they've got $6,000 in a checking account, you know, and encouraged them, hey, why don't you put half of that in the mutual fund? They say, you think that's what I should do? I say, yeah, they sign the thing, give me a check, and I'm out of there. Make a commission on it. And then you go to somebody else's address, you pull up, and it's a big, beautiful house, nice Mercedes in the driveway. You come in, they've got on a suit and tie, sit down, off your tea and coffee, and they ask you a dozen questions. You know, what's the rate of return? Tell me about your company. You know, uh, what kind of stocks are you investing in or oh, can you send me a prospectus and then I'll get back to you and then when I leave there without a sale uh, you know 12 unanswered unreturned phone calls later I finally realized they're just wasting my time you know and so the person I thought wouldn't be interested is interested in the person who looked like they're going to invest $50,000 with me is the person who gives me the run around same when it comes to evangelizing some of you may have people on your job and you think Mm, no, they would never want to come to church with me. Uh, no, they would never be interested in a house group or a Bible study. And that may be just the person that God is dealing with their heart. And then you look at somebody else and think, oh, if I could only get them to come to church, they would be great in our church. They could do so much and they so gifted and so talented. They would be a real asset. And that person has no interest at all. So what's the key? It's for everybody. Everybody you get an opportunity to share the gospel with, to evangelize, to invite out to church, do it. And let them tell you no if that's what they want to do. Amen? Amen. This is for everybody. Well, I want to conclude with this final thought about the importance of the gospel. And that's in verse number 16. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, when he made this statement, had a life to back it up. Paul suffered much because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He risked everything. He gave up everything because he believed so strongly in the power of this gospel message. He was even willing to risk death. And if we want to see our communities transformed, we need to get back to basics. 
And we need to have renewed confidence in the gospel message and know that this is what's going to make the difference. This is the power of God to salvation. So don't be ashamed of his claims. Believe it. Trust it. That it does do what it says it will do. It will transform a life. Don't be ashamed to live it. The Bible says that we are to be living epistles read among men. You know what that means? That means that people who have never read the Bible before, they are to look at our lives and understand what the Bible teaches. Have you ever thought of yourself like that? If you're a Christian, you're a Bible read among men. So don't be ashamed to live it. Because as we live this life, we're witnesses. We're proof that it does what it says. You can tell people by your life how your life has been changed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then don't be ashamed to speak it. Don't be ashamed to testify the goodness of God and tell people the gospel message. Amen? Amen. Well, I hope you'll be encouraged and challenged by that. God wants to do great things in this community through you. The gospel is how it's going to happen. Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? Just for a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed. I just want to give you a moment of quiet to just think about what God has been saying to you this morning. We've been talking this morning about the gospel. About how is the power of God into salvation. Although I've been primarily talking to Christians this morning. If there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You're not a Christian. And you want to become one today. You want to experience this life transforming power that the gospel brings. I want to invite you just with every head bowed and every eye closed. Just raise your hand and say, yeah, pray for me. I've not experienced that change in my life and I want to experience it today. Is there one person here who wants to? Who wants to give their heart to Jesus Christ and let him begin to change you and make your life what he intends for it to be? Perhaps you are a Christian already, but you just want to acknowledge that God has spoken to you and you want to have more power and more commitment and share this gospel message effectively. Would you just raise your hand and say, yeah, pray for me that I will share this message. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand to my left here. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word and thank you for what you inspired Paul to write in this opening verses of the book of Romans. How that he emphasizes this core uh, Christian message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, help us not to be ashamed of it. Help us to be eager to share this message with whoever we can, Father. And I pray, dear God, that as this message goes forth, that it will go forth with your power, with your anointing, and that it will transform lives in this community. Father, we want to see people saved. We want to see people's lives changed. We want to see people healed of things that have held them back, dear God. Set free from temptation and and addiction, dear God. We want to see lives restored and marriages put back together and families strengthened, dear God, through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for this initiative that's going to take place with these newsletters. And I just pray that you would bless it and anoint it and that as it goes into homes, that gospel message will be clear in it and it will have an impact on the lives of those people who read it. So Father, just thank you for this local expression of your church and pray your blessings on them as they share the gospel message in this community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.